Welcome to the podcast of Trinity Church PCA in Carrierville, Tennessee, right outside of Memphis. For more information about our church, you can visit our website, missioncarrierville.org. So in my hometown, in the house that I grew up in, there's a pantry, a large pantry off the side of the kitchen. And over the years, my, my mom and my dad have been recording the height of their grandchildren. So there are 10 grandchildren, there are nine grandsons, there, are, there is one granddaughter, and they have meticulously been recording the heights as they have grown. And I love going into that pantry. The kids love going into the pantry. They like getting their measurements taken. But as a father, as a parent, I enjoy going in there and looking at the heights, looking at the incremental growth. I see my nephews and how they have grown over the years and how tall they have become. And I see my own children. I see it by inch by inch by inch. And it's really rewarding to my heart. And as I stand there in the door in the entrance and I look at that chart, I'm just reminded that that God is in control. That God has this. That I can't grow my children. That as I stand back and I look inside the pantry, what I see is the handiwork of our Father in heaven. I see God blessing my family. I see God raising up my children. It all belongs to Him. He is in control. He is in charge. And as we look at these three parables this morning, I think you're going to see the same thing. God is in control. God is in, God is in charge. This world, this life... It's all in His hands. Let's pray. Lord God, we pray that Your Word would go forth today and that it would be encouraging, that it would strengthen our souls, that it would draw us closer to You, that we would be reminded of Your grace and Your mercy, that we would be strengthened for the journey that is this Christian life in a fallen world. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Okay, so before we get to the three parables that we're examining this morning, I really want us to take a deep dive. And there's a reason for this. We're in chapter 4, and we need to re-examine what Mark is all about and what Mark is trying to accomplish. I think it will help us better understand our text today, and I think it will also help us to understand the Gospel of Mark as we continue to go forward. These are important reminders. Now, as I mentioned last week, Jesus continues to teach in parables. Parables are real-life illustrations that he uses to communicate typically one spiritual truth. That is, the, that is what the purpose of parables are. Sometimes they will communicate more than one point, but typically it's a real-life illustration used to teach one point. So, we've, so we're working our way through the Gospel of Mark. We're in chapter 4. I want us to go back, and I want us to examine who Mark is. I think this is helpful. I think it's important. As I've said before, he's a scribe. He's a secretary for the Apostle Peter. He has been mentored by the Apostle Peter. Another thing that's important to understand about Mark is that the early church, and I think this is absolutely fascinating, the early church met in his home in Jerusalem. Just like we're a church plant very early on and we're gathering in this place for worship, it's amazing to think that the early church in its most infant form gathered in Mark's house. 
We know that Mark traveled with Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey. So in some sense, he was mentored not only by Peter, but by Paul. Now, just stop and think about that for a second. How would you like to be mentored by both the Apostle Peter and the Apostle Paul? The other thing that's important to understand about Mark is, more than likely, he knew Jesus before his resurrection but it's definitely likely that he was an eyewitness to the resurrection. So that, those are some important things to understand about Mark. Why is he writing this gospel? Why is he penning this letter? Well, there are a couple of reasons. The church in Rome and in Italy is experiencing great persecution. And so Mark is writing to them and he's trying to remind them of the truth and the, the vitality of the ministry of Jesus, that this is something that you can hang on to, this is something that you can hold on to, that this has meaning and purpose. When was it written? Well, it was written in the mid to late 60s. We know that Matthew and Luke rely on the Gospel of Mark. You can see in Matthew and Luke elements of the Gospel of Mark. And in both of those Gospels, they do not mention the fall of Jerusalem in A.D. 70. So scholars believe that they wrote their Gospels before A.D. 70. And because they rely on Mark, it's more than likely that his was written before theirs, probably in sometime around A.D. 64 or 65. Now let's, let's examine his audience. He's writing to the church in Rome. He's writing to a broader Gentile audience in Italy. How do we know this? How do we know that, that Mark, that this is the audience for his letter? Well, there's a couple of things. First, early church history tells us that this letter was designed for Rome. Mark also regularly uses Jewish, he regularly explains Jewish customs and Aramaic expressions. In other words, he recognizes the fact that his audience does not understand these customs of the Jewish people in the ancient Middle East. And so he goes to great lengths to help them understand what this means. Mark also uses more Latin words than any of the other Gospels. And so we know that at that time in history, Latin was primarily used by the people in Italy, the people in Rome. And then there's a very interesting thing that is discussed in the Gospel of Mark, and that is Rufus. I want to read to you this quote. This is from Dr. Richard Pratt. He was a seminary professor of mine. I think it's very helpful. In Mark 15, 21, we're told that the man who carried Jesus' cross to Golgotha was the father of Rufus and Alexander, two men that play no role in Mark's Gospel. So why did Mark mention them? One of the best explanations is that they were known to or even part of Mark's audience. And in fact, a man named Rufus is mentioned as a member of the Roman church in Romans 16.13. Assuming he is the same Rufus mentioned by Mark, the implication is that Mark wrote to the church in Rome. And don't forget that Mark accompanied to, he accompanied Peter to Rome. So if this is his intended audience, he knows them personally. So Mark is 
writing his gospel to the church in Rome because they're hurting, they're experiencing persecution, they are under the authority of Nero, and he is evil, and he is out to get them, and it's a terrible and difficult time. And you could imagine as a Gentile convert in that time period, it might be easy to say, I'm washing my hands of this. I'm done. I don't want to experience this persecution. Life is hard enough. I'm not going to I'm not going to follow the way. I'm not going to worship this Messiah because it's just too taxing, it's too hard, it's too strenuous, it's too difficult. And Mark is writing to them and he's saying, hold on. Hold on. Look to King Jesus. Trust in Him. Lean on Him. Place your faith in Him. He is the one that brings sense to this life. He is the one that is going to bring order to the chaos. He is the one, His truth, His words will make sense of all that you are experiencing. So it's the Gospel of Mark and it's written to hurting people in a difficult world in the city of Rome. And the gospel is also written for us, hurting people who live through difficulty and stress and troubles and problems. So there's three things we're going to look at today very briefly. They are this. First of all, Jesus is the light. Second, God is our engineer. And third, Jesus is our emperor. Jesus is the light, God is our engineer, and Jesus is the emperor. So let's begin with our first point. Jesus is the light, and this is the parable of the lamp. Jesus is talking to his audience, and he says to them, it would make no sense to have a burning lamp and to place it under something. You don't want to hide the light. Now what's interesting, if you look at the text in the Greek, he mentions different things, the table, the lampstand, but when he says the light, he uses a definite article, the light. And when we think back to the Old Testament, particularly in the Psalms, we remember Psalm 27.1, the Lord is my light and my salvation whom shall I fear? So scholars believe that when Jesus uses that definite article in the Greek, that when he says the light, that when Mark writes this, he is referring to himself, that he is the light that has come and he should not be hid. Jesus is the king who has come to establish his kingdom. Jesus is the one who has come to provide order. He is the one who has come to make the name of God great. And so Jesus has been telling his disciples, he's been telling his audience that I am the inaugurated king. I'm the long-awaited Messiah of Israel. I have come to do this, to bring the kingdom of God to earth. I am going to restore order. I'm going to get rid of this chaos. I am going to bring shalom, which is a holistic peace, a peace for everyone and in everything, a renewal of all things. Everything will be made right. This is who I am. I I am the light. 
and the light penetrates darkness. And the light should be shown. And so as Jesus explains this parable to his audience and he explains this parable to his disciples, he's saying to them, because I am the light, draw near to me. The further that you get away from me, the further you will descend into the darkness. But if you come to me, if you come to the light, if you draw close to me, you will be blessed. Jesus is talking about kingdom blessings that belong to his people because they are citizens of the kingdom through faith in him. Come to me. I am the light and you will see. And so as Mark is writing this, as he's explaining this parable of Jesus through his gospel, he's thinking about his original audience the people in Rome, the people who are facing troubles and persecution. They are under the thumb of the Roman Empire, and life is, life is hard. And so as, as he is explaining this parable to him, he's saying, draw near to Jesus so that you can see. Come into the presence of Jesus so that you will not be left in the darkness. The world is dark. It's hard to understand the world. It's hard to understand what you are going through. It's hard to face what you are experiencing. So come to the light. Because when you are in the light of Jesus, you will be able to understand all that you are facing. And so as we think about Mark and we think about his message and we think about his original audience and we think about what they were facing, it's, it applies to us as well. I mean, life is not easy. Life is hard. We have work issues. We have family issues. We struggle. And sometimes it's, it's just challenging to put one foot in front of the other. And so the message that is for the new believers in Rome is the same message for us, whether you are a new believer or you have been a believer for many years. It is come to Jesus. Come to the light. Because He makes sense of this fallen world that we live in. As the King who is planting His kingdom, as the King who is spanning His kingdom, He is saying to us, that you can find rest and comfort and peace in me. All of this will make sense in totality when my kingdom is here in all its fullness. So whatever is afflicting you, whatever is troubling your soul, come to the light that is Christ so that you can see. Second point. God is our engineer. This is the parable of the seed growing. God is our engineer. So I watched a movie not too long ago called Unstoppable. And it's a movie about a runaway train. It's loosely based on an event that did happen in Pennsylvania. And it's, it's a magnificent movie. Uh, it's really interesting. And 
Denzel Washington is trying to bring this train under control, under his authority. He's trying to resolve the situation. I remembered when I watched it, I thought it was perhaps a little bit ridiculous. But when you move to Carterville and you see the trains come through here at 50 miles an hour, it, it brought greater understanding to what he was trying to do in bringing this train uh, to a complete stop. And as I was thinking about that movie and I was thinking about his authority and his control and it just brought my attention to God and it reminded me of his sovereignty and his control how he is the lead engineer and that nothing escapes him that in this movie they continue to have problems as the lead engineers bringing this train to a complete stop they are humans and these are machines and sometimes in this fallen world, things don't go right. Things don't work out well. But that for God it does. Because He is in control. Everything is under His authority and power. He is completely and totally sovereign. Let's go to the book of Psalms again. 103, chapter 103, verse 19. The Lord has established His throne in the heavens and His kingdom rules over all. Psalm 135.6, whatever the Lord pleases, He does in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all the deeps. So in this parable, Jesus talks about the seed being thrown out and the seed grows and man doesn't know how, man doesn't understand how the seeds grow. And of course, we have advanced scientifically and we understand what is happening. But I will tell you that when you watch a field grow, I used to drive a lot through the Mississippi Delta in my former job. And honestly, it's amazing to watch these massive fields grow, these crops come out of nowhere. And yes, we understand it scientifically, but it's still miraculous. It's still something that God does. It's like when your child is born. You know, we understand scientifically what is happening, but my first response upon seeing my first child was, how can you not believe in God when you see this happen, when you see this take place? And so in this parable, Jesus is saying that's how the kingdom works. It may seem like it's insignificant. It may seem like it's unimportant, but it is growing because God is in control. God is in charge. He is sovereign over all things. He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. And so let's think about the original audience. They're in Rome. They're suffering. They're hurting. They're being targeted. Life is challenging and difficult. Why is this happening to me? How can this Jesus thing be true? What, how can this, this kingdom be a, a reality? It's, this is crazy. But Mark is writing to tell them God has this. That God has authority. That you need to trust in the words of Jesus that His kingdom is going to grow. That His kingdom is going to be established. Don't doubt it. Trust in the truth 
of his word that this will happen. And so what you're going through, what you're dealing with, will make sense in light of the grand picture of the kingdom. So don't don't lose hope. Don't give in. Don't give up. Give yourself completely over to Jesus. And so the message is the same for us. We look at this fallen world in which we live, and it's frustrating, and it's challenging, and it's upsetting. And we have many issues within our own lives, and we just want to give up. Why does this continue to happen to me? Why is this taking place? Has God forgotten about me? Does God even care? Why is this not working out? And Mark is telling us, as he did to the church in the as he did to the church in Rome, run to the cross and plant yourself at the foot of cross and be reminded that his kingdom will come to fruition. Why? Because it's not up to us, it's up to Him. He is the engineer that is driving this train and He makes no mistakes. That we submit to that sovereignty and that we know that what we're going through in this life is part of a bigger picture and it's part of a plan and that God ultimately is going to rescue us and deliver us and this will all make sense. And so we submit ourselves to His sovereignty. We look to His sovereignty. We trust in His sovereignty. The third point. This is Jesus is our emperor. And this is from the parable of the mustard seed. Jesus is our emperor. In this parable, Jesus talks about the tiny seed, so small, and is thrown on the ground, and it grows into an extremely large bush. And it's so large that birds can make their nest in this bush, and they will be able to find shelter. Let me read for you verses 31 and 32. It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nest in its shade. So in this parable, Jesus is talking about the growth of the kingdom. This ties in with the previous parable. But there's something I don't want you to miss. There's something important that I want you to see. If you have your Bibles, go back to the Old Testament. Go to Ezekiel 17, 22 through 24. Ezekiel chapter 17, beginning with verse 22. Now let me give you some context. Okay? The Babylonians have come and they have taken Judah into exile. It was the Syrians who were oppressing the nation of Israel. And now the Babylonians have risen up as a great nation led by Nebuchadnezzar. And the people of Israel are caught in a battle between the Babylonians to the north and the Egyptians to the south. And Israel is not the powerful 
impressive nation that they should be had they obeyed the covenant perfectly. Had they followed after the Davidic king. And so the Babylonians under Nebuchadnezzar have taken them into exile. This is a sign of covenant disobedience. And even Ezekiel the prophet is taken into exile. And so they are losing hope as a nation because of how they have failed to trust in God and to worship Him alone and to obey His laws. They are being punished. And even the Davidic king, Jehoiakim, even, even this Davidic ruler is in exile. It's complete judgment. It's bad news. Hopeless. And this is what Ezekiel writes. This is what he prophesies. Thus says the Lord God, I myself will take a sprig from the lofty top of the cedar and will set it out. I will break off from the topmost of its young twigs a tender one, and I myself will plant it on a high and lofty mountain. On the mountain height of Israel will I plant it, that it may bear branches and produce fruit and become a noble cedar. And under it, it will dwell every kind of bird. In the shade of its branches, birds of every sort will nest. And all the trees of the field shall know that I am the Lord. I will bring low the high tree and make the high the low tree. Dry up the green tree and make the dry tree flourish. I am the Lord. I have spoken. I will do it. See, Ezekiel is prophesying the word of the Lord and he's saying to the nation of Israel, yeah, you are under judgment. Yes, your situation looks terrible. But the Lord is gracious. And the Lord remembers His promises. And here's what He's going to do. He is going to take a branch and He is going to plant it one day. And it's going to grow into a very large tree. And the birds of the air and animals will find shelter in this tree. Now this is an illustration of the nations of the world coming and finding shelter and rest under God. That the tree represents royalty. It represents the Davidic king that God is going to raise up and He's going to plant and He's going to grow and all the nations of the world will come to this Davidic King and they will worship Him. And so when Jesus talks about the parable of the mustard seed and He mentions the birds of the air finding refuge, making their nest in, in this large bush, what He's doing for his audience, is he's taking them back to the Old Testament and he's saying, here I am. I've been planted. The kingdom has come. All the nations of the world, when the kingdom comes in its fullness, will recognize my kingship. That when this tree that I have planted, when this Davidic tree grows, when the kingdom comes, all the world will worship me. And there will be judgment for those who don't. And so when the people in Mark's time read this, it reassures them 
about the growth of the kingdom and about the ministry of Jesus. He was not a Nazarene carpenter who had a few good ideas. He was not a Jewish rabbi who had some interesting teachings. He is the Messiah. He is the Son of God who has come in the flesh and He has come with a mission which is the establishment of the kingdom of God which is going to make everything right in time. So to the people in Rome, He's saying, hold on, trust, believe, cling to the cross, look to Jesus. This is your only hope. This is the branch that has been planted on high for you. So he's saying the same thing to us in this difficult, fallen world in which we live where sometimes it can seem that God doesn't exist. Where sometimes it can seem that His promises may be true. Where sometimes it just feels like it's so hard you want to give up. And Jesus says, look to that high hill because I am the branch that has been planted. Come, find refuge in me come and make your home with me nest with me and find protection and peace and security come be a part of my kingdom because one day all of the world will bow its knee before me I hope that encourages you this morning take that to heart Let's pray. Our Lord God, we thank you that we can look to your word and that you, through the Holy Spirit, can speak to us and encourage us and strengthen us. Lord God, we thank you that your words are true every single day. Lord, we thank you that your word not only encourages the people in the time of Mark and Rome, but it encourages us here in 2021. So, Father, by the work of your Spirit in our hearts and our souls, help us to cling to your Word. Help us to nest with Jesus, to find peace and comfort and security in the shadow of His cross. It's in His name we pray. Amen.